Good morning. Today's Old Testament scripture reading comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare that you will find your welfare. In our gospel reading is from Mark 12, 13 through 17. And they said to him, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, those whose likeness and inscription is on it, they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Our scripture reading today. So we return after some weeks away uh, to our study of First Peter. And we'll begin reading with the final verses that we looked at last time because there were a couple of things that I wanted to point out that I wasn't able to before. And then we'll read down uh, through verse 12 of chapter two, uh, I'm sorry, through verse 17 of chapter two. So we'll begin with verse 11. Uh, true confessions. This, uh, usually when I read it, is a text that I wish had never been included in the scripture, uh, which is usually a pretty good sign that it's one that I desperately need. Uh, I've told you before that Gordon Fee used to say to us in seminary, I want you this next year to go back and read very carefully all the verses in the Bible that you did not underline uh, and ask yourself why, because that's God's word too. So this is one that I wouldn't on my own choose to Memorize because it hits me in the most unsanctified areas of my life. But with that confession, uh, perhaps you'll be interested to hear what it is. Uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God 
that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor, the word of the Lord. Well, now you may be guessing what's John's problem with this. Uh, it's astonishing that this would be written for at least two reasons. One is the larger context. Peter is writing to a church facing persecution. He will later say, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that is coming on you. They're facing persecution. And most scholars believe that this was written during Nero's persecution of Christians. Nero, who sought to move the blame for his own misconduct onto the despised Christian people and blamed them for everything, including the, the burning of Rome, which apparently he had started. And he even hated them so much that he would impale them and put tar on them and use them as living torches for his garden party. That is Nero. And Peter is writing, be subject to the authorities, honor the emperor. It's astonishing. Secondly, the second reason it's astonishing is because of Peter himself. Peter was not some shrinking violet. Peter was the one who always answered the questions when Jesus asked them, whether or not he had a clue what the answer was. He just wanted to be up front and talking. He was the one who stepped out on the waves until he realized he was on the waves and then went, whoops. Uh, Peter's the one who in the garden drew his sword and attacked the, the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And it was only when Jesus put your, said, put your sword away, that Peter then didn't know what else to do turned and fled when he couldn't defend himself. So this was not someone who was by nature submissive to authority. And yet this is the person who in old age, as God's spirit has sanctified him and increasingly taught him what it means to follow Jesus, who is telling us how we are to live as sons and daughters of the living God in whatever culture, whatever age, under whatever government we find ourselves. And so there are four things that I would underscore, really three, and then the fourth is just, he gives us some illustrations of what this looks like as you try to walk it out. But the first thing is that he wants us to understand with clarity the nature of our true citizenship. And then he wants us to know the nature of our true task. What is our work? Whatever it is we do for a living, whatever our vocation as Christians, what is our deeper vocation? And then thirdly, he wants us to understand the nature of true freedom. And then finally, he will give us some illustrations of how we might begin to walk this out. So the first thing that we see is the nature of our true citizenship. And again, listen to how he says it, and the author of of Hebrews uses the same kind of language. Paul uses this same language in his letters. So, and Paul, who was a Roman citizen, uses this, speaks of us in this way. 
that first verse. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Um, some years ago in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I was serving, a group of very sharp and engaged young Christians who wanted to walk out their faith chose as the name of their, well, they moved down into the city and then they took as the name of their group, 29-7, from our first lesson, Jeremiah 29-7, you know, to pray for the peace of the city, to care deeply for the place that God has put you. And I remember um, a friend of mine coming to me and saying, I salute their zeal, I hope they do all kinds of good, but haven't they totally misapplied a, a text? After all, Jeremiah is writing to people who are exiles in Babylon. And uh, we're not exiles, we're citizens of this country. And I said, without a smirk, I promise. <laughs> Let me point out verse 11 of chapter 2. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's always the state of Christian people. We have dual citizenship. We are citizens, most of us in this room, perhaps all of us in this room, of the United States. And however grieved we may be and should be over things that are happening and over the horrible divisions in our land and the degradation of institutions, nonetheless, I must say, every time I go overseas and come back, I just want to fall on the ground, kiss the earth, and say, thank God. You know, I, I pray we don't lose this because this is such a privilege to be an American citizen. But nonetheless, one day, all of this will go the way of every nation, every empire that has ever been. I hope it's a thousand years, but if, if as my parents always would say, if the Lord tarries. But... We have another citizenship too that is our eternal and lasting citizenship. And so as we seek to engage in the midst of this world and this country, this culture where God has placed us, we dare not think that our ultimate hopes are here for getting things right. If we get in that mindset, if we think that to lose the America we've known is to lose everything, what we do is we become the kind of people that seem to, to fill America today, people who can't do anything to help it because all they are is mad at each other all the time and refuse to sit down and try to make a plan to do something positive. And for a Christian, it's particularly dangerous to forget where our true citizenship is. Jesus, when they came to him and said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? I mean, what did the Roman Empire use their taxes for? Well, some very good things, the building of Rome, the enforcement of the Pax Romana, but it also paid for crucifixions. It also paid for the oppression of people and the conquest of people who'd formerly been free under their own. Jesus didn't say, figure out that part of your taxes going for things you believe in. He said, bring me a coin. Of course, you know what they were trying to do. They thought that in asking him this, they had him. 
Because if he said, pay your taxes, then they could say to, to the Jewish people, why would you follow him as Messiah? He's, he's totally compromised with Rome. If he said, don't pay your taxes, they'd go to the Roman authorities and say, he's fomenting revolution. He's subversive. Arrest him. But Jesus instead said, bring me a denarius, which was a coin worth one day's wage. <coughs> Whose picture is on the coin? Caesar's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. And of course, he's pointing out and reminding his Jewish interlocutors that in whose image and likeness are you? Whose image is on you? God, you are created in God's image and likeness. So give him yourself. I pray especially targeting you young people. Don't just turn this wonderful country over to people my age, please. I mean, we need some young people to rise up and lead all of our institutions and bring a whole new vision and wave. But realize, if you're a child of God, that your ultimate destiny is not here and your calling, as we'll see, is to seek in this present day to display the kingdom. We pray your kingdom come. Where does his kingdom come? Where his will is done. That's why those, those stand together. Your kingdom come, what does it look like? Your will be done on earth as in heaven. So you and I are to be bringing that kingdom here in our relationships, in the way that we do family, in the way that we act as a church, in the way that we conduct our friendships, and in the way that we fight our battles with those that disagree with us. Okay, we'll go on and speak a little more of that later because this isn't a call to pacifism at all. He says, when he speaks of the emperor and of governors, those that are charged with, with preventing evil, Wickedness. Go to Romans chapter 13. Paul talks about this at length, that the sword has been given not to the individual, but to the government. And that's God's will. But I, I remember back, uh, some of you are too young to remember this. I'm so grateful you're here. Um, but I remember when George W. Bush was president, my liberal Democrat friends spent eight years just eating him alive, mocking him, despising him. And then when Barack Obama was elected, all my not all, but many of my conservative Christian friends just reviled him, spent eight years just reviling him. Now we can have principal disagreements with anyone, but he tells us that we need to understand where our true citizenship is. We have a king the perfect one whom we call Father. And here we have no continuing city, as the author of Hebrews says. And so we conduct ourselves as those seeking in this present day whomever God himself has permitted to be raised up, to seek, to speak truth, to defend righteousness in the public square, but to do it in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. More of that later. Enough. Know always where your true citizenship is. Secondly, know what your true task is. He says three parts to this. 
You've got a task in caring for your own soul. You've got a task here caring for your neighbor's soul. And you've got a task in all of that to bring glory to God. So whatever else you do, whether you're employed, unemployed, whether you love your job, whether you hate it, whether you're young, old, retired, doesn't matter. Your true calling is to follow Jesus. And he shows us that here in these relationships, we're to do it by tending our own soul, tending our neighbor's good, so that our neighbor will then glorify God. Uh, when I read these words, what did you think of when I read, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul? Most of us, I think, immediately think of sexual sin. And of course, Paul often, Paul, not Peter, but Paul often started his passages on Christian living by addressing that because it's universal. Anyone who's healthy struggles with that. But flesh in the scripture does not mean this stuff. The word for flesh and the word for the body are two different words. So when he contrasts flesh and spirit, flesh, soul, he's not talking about the part that you see and feel as opposed to the invisible part. No. The flesh in the Bible is everything in you which is opposed to God's purposes for you. And so, of course, immorality, yes, but pride, envy, greed, simply wanting to run my own game and take it to God and ask him to bless me once I've decided what I'm going to do. All of the things that you and I tend to do. You know, we sit down, even in the church, it's something we constantly have to fight. Our tendency is to want to say, thank you, Lord, that we can be here together. Now, what are we going to do? We make our plan and then we say, let's ask God's blessing on this plan. <laughs> okay, Father, we decided what we should do. Would you now please bless the work of our hand? And it is not that's the work of the flesh, not the work of the spirit, which is this beautiful recognition in all things that I am eternally a kingdom, a, a, a member of God's kingdom. I'm his child, and I'm here in whatever situation I'm in to represent him right here. So I want to act in such a way that my neighbor will look. And however much he or she may disagree with me in politics, tastes, music, whatever, will realize this is someone I can trust. This is someone who will love me well. I've said it many times, and, and you know it. But the greatest way to have a witness for Christ to our friends is simply by loving them well, by listening to them when they speak by engaging with them, not by trying to figure out how I can manipulate this conversation into a gospel presentation. That sends people running far away. I don't want to ever feel like my neighbor's trying to sell me something. But we love them well, and we get to know them. And so he's calling us to this. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's for not worshiping the gods of Rome, that's for worshiping Christ, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They will say, nonetheless, nonetheless, I see this. I've told you before of that conversation on an airplane that I heard the day that PTL crashed and burned, and Jim Baker was all over the news and huge headlines. And 
I got on an airplane and two sharp young businesswomen behind me were saying, did you see they finally brought down that fake? I think, you know, all Christians are just a bunch of fakes, all these ministries, I'm thinking. Well, thanks very much, Lord, for letting me, I'm on my way to speak somewhere, let me hear this. But then one of them said, but you know, Mary's a Christian. Has she had you out to lunch? Yes, she has. As they talked about her, it devolved that Mary was their best worker, the one person they trusted, the one person. And in the end, that ended the conversation. One said, what did you, did you talk to her about this Baker scandal? She said, I did. And she just said, my faith isn't in Jim Baker, it's in Jesus Christ. The other one said, that's a pretty good answer. So this one young woman who probably every day went home feeling defeated, feeling like she was the joke of the office for being the one known as a Christian. When the big public guys had collapsed and brought contempt on the name of Christ, it was her faithful, loving, honorable service that stayed the tide, and she probably will never know it. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. Be the honorable person in your neighborhood. Be the honorable person in your marriage. Be the honorable person at work. And God will use that to cause people to give him glory. Know the nature of true freedom, the third. He says in verse 16, don't use your freedom. Live as free people. Now he's talking to people under, I mean, Paul, the apostle Paul was a Roman citizen, but most of these early Jewish Christians didn't have Roman citizenship, so they weren't at one level free citizens. But he says, wherever you're living, because God is your father and because he is ultimately the, the only king that matters. And because he's the one who raises one up and puts another down. I want you to live your life in freedom. Hold your head up. Walk through the world. Refuse to act as though, oh, everybody's down on me and the world's so bad. No. Live as free people. But he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity just to do whatever you want. Because the nature of Christian freedom is the freedom, finally, to obey God. Because obedience to God is not an oppressive thing. Obedience to God is the path of life and joy and peace because his laws, his rules, are not just an arcane list of things to do and not do. It's rather this is what it looks like to love other people well. You want to love your neighbor, you don't take his life, you don't take his wife, you don't take his stuff, you don't take his reputation, you don't sit there at home wishing that it were all yours. That's the law. You love him. You'd be ready even to pour out your life for him. So that's the nature of true freedom. A lot of talk right now about the freedoms that are being threatened, and we know, and, and we hate it. I mean, one of the great joys of being an American. I was arrested in China back in 2010, and when they sat me down at this table to interview me, um, they said, you know, you can't say those things here. And I said, well, I, I'm an American, and we say whatever we want. Don't you wish you could live like that? <laughs> and they, half of them spoke English, translated it to the others, and they kind of started laughing. Of course, everybody wishes they could live like that. And in some of our greatest educational institutions right now, you can't. 
And uh, we grieve that. But, but, we are to live as those that are free. Not to use it just as an occasion to get what we want. But we are to, to live as God's children. And then finally, he just lays out a few ways. And you can read these. I'll read, I'll read it again. Just listen and think of ways that you walk this out. What, what's to be my attitude toward the government? This is why I wish he hadn't written that. <laughs> Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, does this mean that we're always to obey the government, always to do whatever we're told? No. Peter himself demonstrated this early in Acts. After he preached that great sermon at Pentecost, he was hauled in before the authorities and told, you are not to preach anymore in this name, the name of Jesus. And he said, you must judge for yourself whether it is right for me to obey you or to obey God. And he went back out and started preaching. Whenever the authorities over us are calling us to do or to be complicit in that which we know to be opposed to God and to his word and to his will. That's the point at which we say, I have a higher citizenship. And frankly, that's precisely why, I'll use China as an example, why China is all down on Christians again. They're also down on Muslims, down on Buddhists, down on anybody that believes that something is greater than the state. You have to worship the state. And we're told, no, there's only one we worship. You worship the Lord. Again, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up. And then here, the, the killer verse. Honor everyone. <laughs> Come on. Everyone can't possibly mean everyone, does it? Honor, I can understand, be kind to everyone, try to help everyone, but honor everyone? What about somebody who has lived a totally dishonorable life? Honor everyone, why? Because they're made in God's image and likeness and the story's not yet over. And you may be the one who, who honors them in such a way that their heart begins to break open. Doesn't mean you have to kowtow, doesn't mean you have to play up, but honor. That's from a position of freedom. I'm free before God, and I will give you the honor that your office deserves. And however the election goes this next year, some of us are going to have to remember that when we're talking to our friends. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. He makes a special place for the people of God. He says, I want the world to see what the kingdom looks like, and they'll see it to the degree that within the church we love each other. That's why church fights and church divisions are so abominable, because they're a denial of the gospel. It basically is saying, you know, we're no different than anybody else, we're just a different club. But the church is to be the place where people say, no, they're not perfect, and yes, yeah, sometimes, but they resolve things differently because they love one another. What was the great testimony to the world there in Jerusalem uh, 
after Pentecost. The first thing they said was, see how they love one another. There's not a needy one among them. They were caring for each other. They were loving each other. They were a family. Honor everyone. I'll say this too, and I want to be gentle because I know that sometimes we are deeply hurt by people that um, we'd be foolish to continue to trust. But I want to say this especially because it has become such a feature in our culture so that I think it was the Wall Street Journal uh, that wrote on this a few months ago um, that you've, you've got cancel culture in families. You've got kids who say, oh, you know, I, my parents are this way, so it's too toxic, I'm not going to. Honor your father and your mother. He didn't say if they're honorable. Honor everyone. He didn't say if they're honorable. You give honor to those whom God has given to you. You don't have to agree with them. You don't always have to go to lunch. You don't have, but you honor them or you're being disobedient to the Lord. Finally, fear God and honor the emperor. Okay, so here's my invitation to you. If uh, I'm still here after the next election, you'll probably have plenty of opportunity to call me out on this. When my children were small, I was always afraid they wouldn't listen to my sermons. Then I discovered that when they looked like they were playing around, they were actually listening. And nothing brought them more delight than during the week saying, Dad, that you said, <laughs> and wh what's this? You know, that's not what you told us. It's not what you told the congregation. I am a critic. I, I see things that I think are wrong and I tend, instead of just going on the principle, to go ad hominem, to go after the person. How could anyone be a big enough idiot to do that and how could we possibly elect them and what, you know. So please, if you hear me conducting my affairs like that, say, John, Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Love the Lord. Follow Jesus. Let's show this world a different way of being human. The real way. The way that Jesus showed us. Okay. Take a moment as the men come and uncover the elements to prepare your own heart to receive the Supper of the Lord. We invite you to come.